Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You're with the double L team, Lyle and Lawson. Lawson. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Lawson, how are you today? Good. You good? Yeah. You're good today? Yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm great. That's, that's fantastic. Uh-huh. And what are you going to do today? What am I going to do today? I am going to go to the Newcastle University are you gonna go to the, campus to the, to the today okay. to the campus in Newcastle University. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's great. Fantastic. What are you going to do today? I am going to... Uh, oh, I know what's happening. I was so confused. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I have no wait, idea what's wait, going on. And now up. I know. <laughs> it's it's two, two, two on a... It's two, 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 two... On a Tuesday. On a Tuesday. Yes. Yeah. It's two days. So it's, it's two, 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 Tuesday. Okay. Did I get too many twos in there? Uh, probably, yeah. Like, <laughs> the second of the second, 2022, and it's Tuesday. And so it's a Tuesday. It, yeah, so it's all happening. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It, it, have you got like any special plans? This, the only time this will ever happen in your life. This is the only, the only <laughs> day that you, will ever, ever be like this. Um, I don't have any specific plans, but, of course, the uh, Shell's volunteering at the Raymond Terrace op shop where they're having a $2 sale, everything for $2 all day long because of 222. Dang. Mm. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Here on The Breakfast Show, Lawson, let's have a clue for our quiz. All right, guys, for two points, what beautiful young Jewish woman was the second uh, second of the Persian king Xerxes, right? Is, is that the right way to say What beautiful young Jewish woman was the second queen of the Persian king? King Xerxes for two whole points, guys. Zero four nine one. Wait, zero, wait, wait, wait. What? Just for two, two points. Two points. Yeah. Two points. Yeah, that's Just right. two points. That's it. We're, we're, we're being stingy today. That's right. It's two, 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 two day. Yeah, Tuesday. you'll get you'll get some 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 higher numbers later, but for two points now. Okay, two points. All right. What two beautiful points. young Jewish woman was the second queen? Of the Persian King Xerxes. 0491 064 669 is the number to call if you know the answer. And if you do, you can either win our prize for one uh, for two points, which is a Faith of Home bookmark and bumper sticker, or you can get your points on the board and continue to work your way through the quiz. All right. Fantastic okay. stuff. Let's have some positively, some positively different, different news on Lyle. Tuesday. Are you ready? Yes. Free speech is back. Free speech is back. It has come back. We have been liberated from the arms of censorship by the one and the only Donald Trump, who has released in limited form his brand new social media, The Truth Social, Lyle. This is everything we could ever want. This is everything that we could ever want. The the crowd's going wild because free speech is back. Because social media is truth, right? Well, that, that's what you this know, is. You can trust everything that's on social media, can't you? Well, Donald so Trump eat- promised everything would be true. 
Oh no! So, Please. so no. Well, basically, <laughs> well, it's launched. Okay, I like the idea of having alternatives to social media so that we can have some social media that is not censored. I like that idea. I think that's great. But to call it what is it? Truth something or other? It's the truth, liar. <laughs> it's like, the truth. On, seriously, social. This is social media, for goodness' sake. It's just. There's no such thing as truth. Nah, but when this it comes is to- true, surely, because people on the internet told me. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. It's, it's got to be internet. true. Well, oh, no. so so the Truth Social has launched uh, in the US only. I tried to download it. I wanted to get on it. I think it'd be a smart move for somebody with a lot of money to, to launch a new social media to compete with the ones that are out there that is going to that does proclaim itself as having less censorship. I think it's a terrible idea to call it anything to do with truth. No. The branding is horrid because nah, it's, it's just, exactly what I want. And it's just, according, it's so cringy. According to their spokesman, due to massive demand, we have placed like a lot of users are on the wait list at the moment, you know, to okay. get in. So, uh-huh. so th- I think there's some kind of verification process or something just to make sure it's all about the truth. Uh, yeah, but essentially, because Donald Trump got banned off every single social media. Uh, he has started his own social media. It's called The Truth um, Social. It, it is the champion of free speech, and it shuns censorship. It vows. It, like, gives absolute, you know, it makes the absolute promise that there will be no censorship. Um, unfortunately, like, in terms of... There has to be some kind of censorship because... Uh, you know, if there's not, then it will break the rules of the app store. You can't just throw anything on there. Uh, but yeah, they, they have vowed. They've said, no, this will be a platform for, for free speech. It will be a censorship free experience. Uh, and so yeah, they'll, uh, they'll keep it uncensored and good. I assume. I'm, I'm just wondering if there's like in-app purchases. Is there some way that Donald Trump makes money from this? Surely. Right? Of course. There has to be. There's, there's always going to be an angle. But at the moment, it's, again, in limited launch. It's only in the US, which is sad, because I wanted to download it again on there. I wanted to follow Mr. Trump. I wanted to put my truth out there. I wanted to be like, Jesus saves, go vegan, you know, just, just really share the truth with people. Um, well, that is actual truth. That's not just your truth. That's actual truth. Yeah, I know. And that's why I want to put it out there. Yes. It's also my truth. Yes. <laughs> It's also actual truth. There is, a, there is a thing called actual truth. Facts. Logic. You know, everybody talks about my truth. Well, my, your truth might be true or it might not be true. Yeah. But um, it might be just a complete delusion. Yeah. But when it comes to Jesus saves and plant-based diet is better, that's actual truth. That's actually true. That's actually true. And so I wanted to put it up there, but now they won't let me. So they're censoring me because I'm from <laughs> Australia. Like, I just want to get on there and, and share my truth. But now they're like, no, you're too Australian. Oh, I can only imagine... I can only imagine all the people that are going to jump on this thing as soon as it launches. It's going to be... Oh, it's going to be wild. Like, seriously, like... Everyone who dislikes Donald Trump is going to get on there and just go hard about how much they uh-huh. hate and just troll and just do all kinds of things because you've pa- ta- like painted a big target on yourself. Mm-hmm. And then, but they've promised that there's no censorship. So what are they going to do? Yeah. Okay. So what are they going to do with people just posting up? You know, like gross pornography or something. Yeah, like no. That. So there's like this is what I was talking about. There's specific rules that you have to follow to be allowed on the App Store. Yes. And so, the, the in terms of it's being absolutely censorship free, it's a no. Yes. But yeah, 
to be allowed on the app store and like Google play and stuff, they have to follow some kind of rules and guidelines. And I'm sure they'll have like some rules there. There will be like anti, you know, sexuality or whatever, but yeah, apparently you're allowed to say whatever you want. That's amazing. Yep. Well, All right. I'm going to get on there and say some stuff. Hopefully, one day uh, let's, if they let's, if let's they stop, the, let's share, share the Lord with as many people. Amen. As we can. All right. Uh, in other news, dude, have you ever eaten dehydrated food? Uh yes. It's like the best thing ever. Uh no. Is no. Why not? No. Why? What? Because, uh, well, depends what you mean by dehydrated food. I you, you're better off to eat the food before it's dehydrated, just like fresh. Out of the gut. Or you could drink some water and then eat dehydrated food because it tastes good. Yeah, or you could just eat it fresh out of the garden and it's so much better because it already has the water in it included. All right, well, this story... As the complete package as God created. Well, this story is actually going to disprove everything you've just said. There is definitely a place for dehydrated food. I do enjoy dehydrated... I eat dehydrated food pretty much every day of my life. Wow, really? What do you eat? Sultanas. Oh, yeah, they're like... Put them on my cereal. Oh, so good. Sultanas are awesome. Have you ever had dehydrated mandarin? No, it's, oh, maybe it literally tastes like lollies. Like you can eat the skin and I everything. I it's think I have. so good. Um, but in India, uh, they have like the Indian government has set up this new program where they are saving tens of thousands of tons of food, like every year, every month, every day, uh, because. Basically, so much food in India. They they make so much food. They 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 produce and grow so much food to support their massive population. And then a lot of that food, before it even because it's like so hot there, before it even gets to people, like goes off. And so then they just chuck it out, and it becomes food waste. And so India is not only like one of the biggest producers of food for its massive, huge population. Uh, it is also one of the biggest producers of food waste. Uh, but now in several states across the country, uh, they have innovated. They've come up with this machine. It's like a little uh, solar-powered dehydrator. And basically they've employed all... Uh, they've also done like a really amazing he- thing here for low socioeconomic people um, or people struggling. They've employed all these people who you know, don't have jobs, uh, to work and put these food in dehydrators that are powered by the sun to preserve them and create more food and less food waste. So this is a fantastic solution, particularly in a like developing country like this, you know, uh, where most of your buying of food is, is market-based rather than supermarket-based. You know, you don't have big companies that have a monopoly on everything. Um, it's just your local town, you know, I'm sure in the big cities and whatnot, they have supermarkets for sure. But in the great majority of India, where it's all like people producing and growing their food from small businesses, and then it kind of getting out from there. Yeah. The food waste that is uh, created from that is massive. And so to combat that and fight that, they've done a fantastic job. Uh, they claim they've prevented 350,000 metric tons of CO2 entering the atmosphere and 40,000 tons of food waste uh, they've prevented through the use of these dryers. And they've employed over a 1,000 uh, women across the different states uh, who have a difficult time finding work. So I'm That's like, this amazing. is just like a win-win-win situation. It's a win-win all the way around. Um, I don't necessarily know how this would apply in Australia. Australia being there's a tremendous amount of food that goes into waste in Australia that could be dehydrated and you know repurposed in lots of different ways. Yeah, but I'm just I'm just trying to think of like whether the market is keen enough on it. 
I be- don't know. Because we're so f- first world. Like, if yes. food goes into waste, it just gets replaced by more food and there's no scarcity or whatever because we have such a small population. Whereas, a fact. whereas over there, they need the food and they are getting the food. So this is fantastic news. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Mm-hmm. For 2222 day. 2222. All right. Yes. We should get into a question of the quiz. Is this a 200-point question? No, this is a 22-point oh. <laughs> 22, <laughs> because it's 2022. That's right. So, 22 for 22 points. What did God make on the second day of creation? Okay. Zero four nine one day two. Day two, that's right. Creation. Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is the number to call. The second prize that you can win for twenty two points is an issue of Science Magazine, or you can get your points on the board, sweep your way through the quiz, and win every single prize. But again, that question was, what did God make on the second day of creation? All right. Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. Give us a call right now if you know the answer. Um, some interesting research just coming out about uh, hope cohabiting rather than uh, uh, rather than getting married. So and yeah. also also age of marriage. So cohabiting. It's like living, living together yeah, before you're married. Okay. So couples that live together before they get married, uh, depending on which research you look at, uh, it varies from a fifteen to fifty percent higher divorce rate. Than couples who do oh, not cohabit before marriage. Yes. That's, that's pretty high. Yeah. That's big difference right there. Um, and these, of course, come down to factors like, you know, you spend a lot of time leaving the door open and you just get used to leaving the door open once you get married. Um, people who cohabit have typically had more partners, which creates uh, more opportunity for comparison, which creates more opportunity for jealousy and for, you know, mind games, you know, wondering about whether they've got the greenest patch of pasture or not. Uh, there is less trust and there is more doubt with partners that cohabit before they get marriage. Um, and, of course, you know, the, the, the normal convention right now or conventional thinking is that, you know, when you're in your 20s, you should avoid commitment, you should establish yourself professionally and try living together uh, in preparation for getting married in your 30s where you have children and so forth. They've now found out that... Uh, young people, people who get married younger and do not cohabit have the highest success rate to marriage. That's so I have like plenty of anecdotal evidence where I've seen cohabitation be really bad. I think we all do. Yeah. Like, and you know, this is what the, this is the biblical model right here because I mean, to be honest, well, I, I guess I kind of look at uh, couples that don't cohabit yeah. and don't sleep around and, you know, do the right thing, stay pure into their 30s. And the, and, the, and the question is like, okay, but you've held off for so long. Is that even healthy? Is that even normal? Mm. Uh, and then I see quite a lot of young people that get married quite young, but they don't sleep together beforehand and they don't cohabit and they do really successfully. Mm. And the research is now bringing it out. Um, of course, in the United States, in 1970, 9% of couples uh, cohabited, and now it is 35%. Now 40% of children are all born out of wedlock. So that's the stats wow. as they are today. So big societal changes there uh, since the 1970s. Mm. Okay, so we did say that we'd talk about Justin Trudeau oh, and Revelation 13. The and you guy. know, the interesting thing is that um, 
Character is not revealed when things are going smooth. Character is only revealed in times of crisis. Yeah. And, of course, we've had a crisis over the last couple of years with the pandemic. And this is what he had to say a couple of weeks ago. I want you to listen to this for, for a moment and put it in the context of Revelation 13. He's talking about the unvaxxed. He says they don't believe in science. They are often misogynistic and racist. So you and I know lots of people that do not... Uh, that are not vaccinated, and we know that this is not true, that they are often misogynistic and racist. What's he talking about? But it goes on. But they take up space. They take up space, and with that, we have to make a choice. Just, Just think about this language. They take up space, and we have to make a choice. We have to make a choice. Do we tolerate these people? They are holding unacceptable views. I want you to think about that for a moment. So basically what Trudeau is suggesting here is that if you hold unacceptable views, you are taking up space and they have to think seriously about whether it's worth your while taking up space or not. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I'm, I'm a big supporter of Trudeau. Okay. Uh, I like the things he says. Right. Because, like, to me, he's easily, like, the dumbest leader in the developed world. Okay. And he consistently says really dumb things, and I find it really funny. Like, and I just want him to say more stuff. I know it's really terrible for the state of Canada right now, and I feel for potentially our Canadian listeners, and I know some people living out there, and it's like, yeah, they're really going through it with this whole, I don't know, culture war that's taking place, and, and, but nonetheless, like, the thing, it's kind of worth it for these dumb quads. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. It's hilarious. But at the same time, when you look at Revelation 13, you've got a group of people in Revelation 13 where the Bible says that they are unacceptable. And because they're unacceptable, they're no longer allowed to buy and sell. Yeah, that's right. And eventually the death penalty is proclaimed against them. And you read that and you can say, well, that could never happen in a developed Western nation. And then you read words like this that we haven't heard in a developed nation since the Second World War. Yeah. And it's just like, really? You said that? (laughs) Anyway, um, I did also say that we would talk about China this morning, so let's mm-hmm. do, move over and talk about China. And this article uh, came out in the New York Times. It was an interesting piece of research by the New York Times, which is typically you know, a, a left-wing-leaning newspaper. But it's talking about the self-censoring that the United States uh, institutions are doing in relationship to China. And so, you know, it throws out a couple of examples where, for instance, you know, the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi told uh, athletes travelling to China not to speak out on human rights issues, not to speak about out about, about you know, what was happening in China, not to make political statements, take burner phones with them uh, instead of their mm. actual phones, all of that kind of stuff. So don't say anything. So censor, and, and that to me is incredibly successful by the Chinese Communist Party in that they have convinced the American government to do their censoring for them. Mm. Um, and a little bit, you know, scary. You've got many other examples. You know, professional wrestler John Senna apologising for uh, calling Taiwan a country. Oh, You've got Houston, Houston uh, Rockets executive apologised for a pro-democratic tweet. Um, you've got the 20, 2013 movie, World War Z, uh, re- or World War Z, rewritten uh, so that the zombie virus doesn't start in China. You've got the uh, Top Gun movie coming out later this year, Maverick. Um, in 1986, Tom Cruise wore a jacket with a flag of Japan and a flag of Taiwan patches on it. Those are now gone. 
Oh, wow. Because you can't have that. We can't offend China. This is incredibly effective. Where that's crazy. Really, through uh, primarily through Hollywood, China is actually uh, its its own censorship. You know, has has obviously strong censorship in its own country, but now the world is self censoring towards China because of. Money. That's right. The market is so big in China. It's it's so interesting. All of the examples you get, especially like when they're you, all entertainment. Especially the Houston Rockets, right? So yes. there was a Chinese basketball player named Yao Ming, and the NBA grew by like after Yao Ming started playing a Chinese national in the NBA. It, like the NBA grew by like six hundred percent or something like that in terms of how many like viewership because of all all of China just got on board and started watching it. It's massive, and so he's obviously they're apologizing because they're like they don't want to lose China. That's so crazy. Yeah. So the so um you know and China they don't hold back. They're pumping out movies. They make movies all the time, hmm. and of course their movies typically have an American as a bad guy. You know you, yes. would, you would expect oh, that. Dude. So they're not holding back. They are proudly standing up and you know promoting their ideology. Um, while the rest of the world just suddenly goes completely silent on China. And you've got to stop and think for a moment. You know, when things were bad in South Africa and South Africa had a government that was openly racist, uh, a government called apartheid or a system called apartheid, the whole world was up in arms and the whole world boycotted the place and put sanctions on it and refused to send their sports people there. And on this one, you've got China, which is worse because they are just as racist, if not more racist than what South Africa ever was. And they combine their racism with religious persecution. So their racism has a religious mm. twist to it. You know, you've got up to 3 million Uyghurs that are in concentration camps in China. This is way worse than South Africa. Mm. And what are we doing? Well, let's not say anything bad about it. What's the difference between the two? You know, this would be a perfect opportunity for all the virtual signalers and social justice people to get out there and stand up and make themselves look good by making a stand against China. And all of them are purposely not saying anything because it's not convenient for them to do so. Mm. I've never seen a level of hypocrisy in Western society like this before. And we need to stand up for what is right in our world and we need to stand up for those people that are being persecuted even when well maybe we don't care about them because they're not of our faith they're muslims and muslims are kind of on the nose at the moment whatever it might be but the reality is Mm. if we don't stand for the religious liberty of islam then our religious liberty is going down the tube you're listening to the breakfast show podcast on faith fm positively different Two 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 Tuesday, uh, Lawson. Let's have our next clue for our quiz. Is this a two hundred point question? It's a two hundred and twenty two point question. Two hundred twenty two point. Okay, yeah, just 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 lots of points <laughs> being thrown out here all over the place this morning. <laughs> that's two hundred and twenty two right. points. You never get to have two hundred and twenty two points. So let's uh, let's do it for two hundred and twenty two points. What does Ecclesiastes say the whole duty of man is? Guys, this is a twofold answer. There are, you know, there's, there's two parts to this answer. 0491-064-669 is the number to call if you know the answer. You can call or text for 222 points. You can win yourself a pocket sermon. Uh, but again, that question was, what, what does Ecclesiastes 12 say the whole duty of man is? 0491-064-669. Joining us on the phone this morning is Sue Burke from Asian Aid. Sue, welcome to the show. 
Hi, guys. Lovely to speak to you. Now, Sue, of course, uh, Asian Aid doing uh, charitable work with uh, orphanages and schools, uh, education and so forth in India, Bangladesh and Nepal. We talk to you once a month. What is happening in these spaces right now? Well, obviously, schools are open, which is really exciting. We're spending a bit of time with the children at the moment, just seeing what gaps there are, because obviously... It's not easy in some of these countries to learn from home, so we're ensuring that no child's left behind in in effect, so that um, we make sure that no one gets you know falls through the the safety net that we're providing. So that's probably our primary focus, and also um, uh, supercharging our communities around our Adventist schools to bring them all up together to ensure that our schools remain strong, not just now, but into the future. So one of the things that sort of goes through my mind is that a lot of these kids, you know, during COVID, you know, were sent home. Um, Some parents, of course, very good at being able to homeschool. Some parents less good at homeschooling. And so if I look at that kind of situation as we had it here in Australia, you know, you had some parents that just excelled when the homeschooling started and some of them have even, even just decided to continue on whereas others really struggled with that. Um, in these very, very poor countries, parents that have their children at home, do they have the resources to educate their children? Can they, do parents, are able, parents able to go online and access online resources? Yeah, so I think taking a step back, uh, we, we certainly needed to concentrate first on food security. So to ensure the whole family was fed, because you can't just send a child back into a really vulnerable environment and just feed them. You've got to ensure that the community is fed because otherwise you make them more vulnerable. Mm. So that was kind of our first step. And then our second step was what resources do these children need and how can we actually get there to welfare check them on a regular basis to make sure that they're not more vulnerable. So those three things kind of happened simultaneously. Um, yes, there was some online learning, particularly where uh, not so much at, in our remote communities, but certainly within our inner city and our slum projects, we managed to get them online learning. Otherwise, we kind of provided physical tools and the teachers also did kind of like eight-day tracks and went into these really remote, particularly in Nepal, remote areas. And they did sort of a one-day workshop classroom to check on the kids' schoolwork. I mean, it, we literally had to move mountains during this period of time to ensure that we didn't lose children through the gap, which was technology versus non-technology. Um, also, we ran, um, there was government radio classes, and um, we obviously provided some phones and whatever we could, batteries for radios, whatever we could do, it was on really a case-by-case basis. When you're dealing with 4,000 sponsored children, that's actually no easy task, but we've managed to do that. Now schools are back. It's really interesting to see who's done really well, who hasn't, and a lot of the parents have expressed, um, is it possible for the child to repeat the year because they just don't feel like they're going to be able to catch up at all. So all of those challenges mixed in is what we've been working on.
Yes, it's a very different scenario than what we have here in Australia when you start by saying, well, we didn't actually start with making sure their education uh, was up to scratch. We started with food because if they're not eating, then they're not going to be educated. And we just don't think about that in Western countries, do we? It's just not one of those things that goes crosses our mind because, you know, there is food pretty much available for, you know, kids in Western countries, whereas uh, in these uh, much, much more poverty-stricken countries, you start with food and then follow that up with resources. So I've been to—I haven't been to the three countries that you're working in. Um, I have been yeah. to quite a number of developing countries around the world, and the thing that surprises me is that even in some areas where you travel into that area, people are living fully traditional lives. They don't have anything artificial. Um, Except for their mobile phone. It seems mobile phones, the uptake of mobile phones has, has uh, been just amazing across the world. In India, Nepal and Bangladesh, do you find that, I mean, is this, is, do these kids have screens where they can, uh, you talked about radio school, but do the majority of them actually have a screen that they can use to interact with online learning? Yeah, so you're probably talking about just under 50% have that level of, access on a regular basis. So they might have a mobile phone that's shared amongst families, for example. So to try to teach a class, you know, the ability for, say, a laptop when you only got sort of a certain amount of electricity, for example, isn't that easy. So one of the things that we did is we did things like set up um, like little power station or power pods so that people could charge their phones, for example. We had special times that the kids could ring up to get information on classwork. So it was kind of horses for courses, to tell you the truth. There wasn't one size didn't fit. Or, like in Australia, we kind of went, yep, we're going online. In these kind of countries where there's so many other challenges, you can't just do a blanket approach. So it was tricky because we had to look at every child individually and see what would work for them. Some of them did paper and post, and we posted things to them. You know, it was everything was different. Every every rule book was thrown up in the air, and we just had to do a case by case basis, which has been no easy task. But we're happy to say that you know the majority of the kids at had access to education, how many actually did that education is probably this year a lot about assessment, how we're going to catch them up, do we keep them back here, what's that going to look like. So, you know, like learning here in Australia, not every child responded well to a non-class environment, exactly the same there but with so many other challenges. It sounds like it's going to be very, very much on a case-by-case basis. I mean, and that's something that I, well, I guess my next question was going to be, I remember being a kid and hating school and if the pandemic had come around when I was a kid, I'd be like, great, I'm going fishing for a couple of years until this thing's over. Um, what was the what was the uptake of education like amongst the kids? Is there a, do, do, do children in these kinds of environments have a higher, place a higher value on education than what you know, kids maybe in a Western society do? Yeah, I think the kids do. The challenge for us is do the parents. And we spend a lot of time with parent classes around the importance of education because when you're kind of living day by day, to be able to pull your child into the field might help you, you know, get more food on the table or sell more at market 
all of those things. So, you know, we spend a lot of time with the parents really ensuring they understand that the longer the children in education, the better value it will be for them both now but also later on in terms of having a better income than where they've, what their parents are living, you know, subsistence farming kind of thing. So, yes, I think the children place a lot of value in their education, but that's not necessarily the case with every parent. So that's the kind of challenges we have as well. You talked about, um, you know, the use of radio, the use of internet, the use of post, and also uh, teachers doing eight-day treks, um, you know, out into the mountains, and I think you specifically yeah. mentioned Nepal. That's a pretty wild experience. And I'm, I'm thinking, just looking at the topography of Nepal and thinking, well, how do you even get a radio signal that actually gets around all of those mountains? You'd have to have, uh, you know, working in radio, and I understand how radio signals work. Uh, did you have a lot of children that were, had actually had no access to either radio or internet um, and, you know, possibly even sporadic postal services? I'm just imagining. Yeah, yeah. So we certainly, there, there's certainly a percentage of children that um, we knew would have no access to any any type of technology. So we did send education packs with them after they were, after the government closed the schools and they had to return home. But it was tricky, you know. There, it, it, as I said, it, it's not everyone. But the other thing we also had to consider is particularly vulnerable girls and vulnerable boys. Like, are they going to be sent to work during this time? Are they going to have time? Because if their parents were day labourers, for example, they weren't working. So do they send their kids? Do they, you know, is child marriage going to be an issue? All of those factors that you and I living in Australia could never imagine everything had to be put on the table because vulnerable children are vulnerable and a pandemic makes them more so. So, it, it yeah, it, it's been a tricky operation, but I'm happy to say that things are returning to like a new normal. So. With the parents that are actually, you know, the, the, obviously the job of uh, educating and, and making sure that their kids are being educated, coming back on the parents, uh, you mentioned that, you know, often the children place a higher level on that than the parents do because the parents, you know, their number one priority is to put food on the table each day and, yeah. and you can certainly understand where they're coming from. Um, I've been to developing countries where, you know, I've worked amongst amongst large groups of, of people that have been entirely illiterate that have, you know, where the, the entire adult population has never set, never set foot in a, in, in a classroom in their entire life, um, you know, and once again living very traditional lives. Uh, is there a level of illiteracy amongst the parents where they would actually struggle yeah, to homeschool? Right. Okay. So this is, this is yeah. a, another issue as well. Yeah, um, moreover too, one of the things that we've been doing since the pandemic is doing what we're calling supercharging our Ventus communities around our schools. So what we're doing is we're, adult, we're providing things like adult literacy classes. We're providing lessons about how to optimize farming. We're giving, you know, we're providing tree planting. I've spoken to you previously about the ducks and goats that we provide and all of these things are to provide the families with a more secure income stream if you will and also an opportunity if they so choose to 
to learn and improve their lot, their lot in life. And most of the parents want to do that. I don't think anyone chooses to live on a daily basis whether they're going to be fed or not. So we've found around our Adventist schools, the communities have been really excited and been taking up those opportunities as well. So we've kind of weaved that in with food relief and that's been a really exciting part. And using kind of the school and the church as kind of beacons of light within what's been quite a dark period for vulnerable families. Sue Burke, thank you so much for joining us here and, and sharing with us what's happening in this part of the world. It is hard for us to imagine when you are you know, living in a Western society and, and with Western affluence that uh, you know, just a few hours by flight in another part of the world, people are living so vastly differently. So how do we interact with uh, Asian aid and support the work that you're doing there? Yes, so if you would like to help these vulnerable children flourish in faith and future prospects, then go to asianaid.org.au and we'd appreciate anything that you can give. You can sponsor a child or make a one-off donation. So we'd really appreciate anything that people can contribute to improving the lives of these children. Thank you so much. That was Sue Burke from Asian Aid. So head across there to their website where you can uh, make donations and sponsor children. Uh, we encourage you all to do that right now. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.